Ready to dive in? Welcome to Adventures in Truth Podcast. Every episode, we explore, expand, and evolve our understanding of the truths we encounter and experience in our human quest for clarity and exponential growth. And now welcome your hosts, Dr. Jeffrey Smith and Jim Case. Welcome to Adventures in Truth Podcast. Good afternoon, Dr. Jeffrey Smith here with AdventuresInTruthPodcast.com and my esteemed colleague, James Case. Hello, Jim. How are you tonight? Hey, Jeff. I'm good, thank you. Good to be here. Good to be here with you on another exciting adventure. Absolutely. So folks that are listening, you're in for a good treat again, where we're going to continue our journey toward discovering ways that we can both identify and resolve human beings subconscious, unconscious, perplexing fear of death. So that's where we're going tonight. We're going to continue on uh, in our journey from last week, where we went into some of the details about it's long been held a powerful belief from psychologists from day one, and even philosophers before that, that what's in the human mind is a fear of death, and that we carry that around with us like only always. And you might be saying, I don't ever think about that, <laughs> right? But we're not talking about consciously. Uh, but however, we do have many, many, many statements we make like, oh my gosh, that pain in my neck, it's killing me. So we, stay, we say things like that all the time. It's all over the place in our lexicon and our colloquialisms and our phrases and speech. This notion of dying, being killed, things killing us. We can't watch enough cop shows and we can't watch enough emergency shows and first responder shows. And it's just like we're obsessed with vampires and zombies. And it's like it's all tied around death. Like everything is tied around death, even relationships that have betrayal going on in them. So there's somebody's dying in a book or a movie if you're going to watch it and pay money to go see it, it's probably going to have some death in there somewhere or a lot of places for that matter. So that's where we're going tonight, gang. And I'm really excited to continue the journey with you. Um, where I'd like to go from tonight's episode, from where we left off last time. And, and guys, if you didn't listen to last week's, please don't try to listen to this one if you haven't listened to that one first. I mean, you're, you can be smart and everything, but Man, we, we really spent a lot of time developing the path to get to here tonight. So uh, you might find that of interest. And, if, and for those of you that are really interested in putting it all together, several weeks back, we had a co-host, uh, Paul Diamond, on with us that spoke as a shaman with uh, some of the science and neurobiology and chemistry behind some of the things that he does in his craft uh, toward addressing the fear of death. Uh, so you could listen to that one. That was about 30 minutes or so. So anyway, if you have caught up and you are ready to go, then where we wanted to go tonight uh, launches off from the standpoint of how culture is changing. Literally, as I speak, uh, there are meetings being held. There are laws being revised. There are agendas being reexamined with regard to right now what's driving uh, what I'm about to talk about is that it's long been known that 30% of people who are depressed and take antidepressants do not receive a benefit from the antidepressant. And because anxiety and depression are the number one and number two leading mental illnesses with regard to numbers of occurrences, uh, those get the most headlines. And they also, from the big pharma perspective, have the most opportunity for profitability to come up with a solution. So if you put there's, and, and that's a big number, it's a big number in the United States of people who are using some form of an antidepressant and who are not benefiting from that mm -hmm. as well as, 
maybe never have benefited from it. So they went on it, they followed the doctor's orders, they titrated up to the therapeutic dose, never received a benefit from it, maybe even changed antidepressants several times. Big group of people out there who fall in that category. Another group of people are those that have used antidepressants, maybe changed medications a couple times, been on them for five to 10 years, and now have reached what we call the poop out effect. And that's the point at which the medication is no longer providing a therapeutic response relative to uh, the level of depression or anxiety that a person is in. And if you're hearing like, well, are you talking depression or anxiety? Those medications actually work for both. Uh, I'm not having a psychiatric discussion right now, so I'm talking in general terms. So for people that know that, yes, there are anti-anxiety medications, Yes, I agree with that. I'm simply saying that oftentimes a general practitioner will prescribe a medication to treat both anxiety and depression because they're, they're familiar with it. They know it's not going to hurt anybody, um, and they know that they're not going to have a lawsuit on their hands. Anyway, that's all kind of a little bit of background to where we're going. But what, what, what is interesting to me and really fascinating about the times that we're living in right now, so we've got the depression issue that really hasn't been well helped both for people that never get a benefit as well as people who the benefit ends, big pop, big group there, say half. Now we're talking about half of everybody. As well as we've never had a frontline treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. And that, that, has, that name, this, that's a fifth generation name. It used to be called shell shock. It used to be, oh, there's all kinds of names where that term has changed over time. But in the, usually, you know, in the beginning it was, combat related or people that have seen really horrific experiences or events or they themselves, you know, had near-death experiences. Um, Regardless, there are two driving factors right now going on at this moment about organizations that now are aware that there is a new frontline agent that can and has been shown to show high efficacy and they're even calling it healing. So I want to talk about the word healing for a moment. There's a difference between um, pain aversion or amelioration of pain as far as like it doesn't hurt as much, but it actually didn't heal what's painful. It's just I don't feel the pain any longer. Like an aspirin, for example, doesn't actually make whatever it was that's hurting not hurt. It just helps you not feel the pain. That's not healing. So what's so exciting to me right now in this time in human history is that there are studies, well-funded and well-founded and well-respected studies that are showing that there is a new frontline agent to treat both depression, anxiety, that's shown to be effective for OCD, it's shown to be effective for PTSD. So now we've got a nice big uh, umbrella around a whole bunch of people who are in need of and who could really use a reset, a rebaselining, a factory reset, if you will, Uh, to a state of mind to allow them to be content without having to use psychopharmacology, without having to use all of the illicit ways people try to feel better through alcohol and drugs and prescription medications for painkillers and whatnot. Okay, so you may be wondering, what is this that I'm talking about? I'm talking about psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in a specific type of mushroom Uh, It's been named magic mushroom, and that was kind of the pop culture. You could go back to uh, maybe the 60s. I don't really know the origin of that particular name, Uh, but it really isn't magic. It, when you are under its influence, may make you seem like you're seeing magical things, but magic really isn't an appropriate name to be ascribed to this agent. Unlike many other substances that occur naturally in nature, like alcohol, for example, um, if a berry drops into a rock that has a crevasse that holds water because it recently rained and you get a ripe fruit that will drop into the water and that sun comes out, that water will turn into alcohol, but animals by and large will not touch it. They, they know that that's poison. I'm going to stay away from that. But horses and dogs and other animals in the wild will and actually do eat psilocybin mushrooms. And they actually have 
<laughs> I haven't talked to the horses, the dogs, or these other animals, but scientists who have actually observed this, both in the wild and in a domestic situation, they notice that that animal is different afterward. Uh, bees have actually been known to take uh, little bites of a psilocybin mushroom and take it into the colony. And if there's some disease or there's some problem inside the colony, that agent helps cure whatever the problem is. Cure and heal. Those, those are the words that I'm really wanting to focus on uh, in this podcast. So say let's, let's go back just a couple of months. But before I do, it looked like Jim wanted to interject something. I just want to pause for a second. So have you guys ever had the uh, experience where you have some ideas in your head and all of a sudden things start coming together? Well, that's kind of where I am right now. And I'm really excited to share that with you guys that things are coming together right now. It's such an exciting time. And particularly because old archaic regimes are being trampled under and it's just like finally good and and well-meaning people who have pioneered efforts to help us practice better health and wellness and help us live better uh, have been put asunder because it's not profitable or they didn't meet the criteria for some organization or some governmental policy or whatnot so we're beginning to see some of those old ways deteriorating Examples would be Colorado, the state that Jim lives in, uh, was one of the first states to legalize marijuana and more recently legalize, I believe, the use of psilocybin or mushrooms in they, certain they, places they, in Colorado. They decriminalized it um, in, in Denver proper only. Okay. <laughs> because the well, research facility is apparently in Denver. So the, the whole point of this was to be able to open up research to everything that you're talking about. Well, that's a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah. Um, if you guys didn't catch it, perhaps uh, October, I believe was the first episode on 60 Minutes that was talking about psychedelic agents being used to treat mental health disorders. And then Anderson Cooper did a follow-up just a couple of weeks ago in part two. Uh, it was popular enough, 60 Minutes rolled the dice and said, wow, you know, this is really out there for us because we're a well-established, well-respected uh, news service. And, ooh, do we dare talk about magic mushrooms and, uh, in the laboratory and, you know, who are these people and what are they doing? So that's actually a thing. You guys can Google that. We might even be able to put it on the podcast as a link that people could uh, click on uh, to find that very easily. Um, but it, it was each, each episode is about 20 minutes long. Great condensed data on who the researchers were, what they did, how they did it, why they did it, and what the outcomes were. Um, another really, really interesting aspect of how things are coming together right now is what the Veterans Administration is doing. And they started a couple of years ago. And, and gosh only knows who started the whole thing to actually be brave enough to say, uh, we really need to take a look at this again. We haven't really done anything with it since the 1970s. Um, but there's something to what happens when people ingest this natural occurring agent in nature. And oh, by the way, we have receptor sites that, you know, make it all work in the brain. You have to ask yourself, why would those be there if we're not supposed to use that stuff? So um, <clears throat> you can make a point for it just on that. But so the Veterans Administration has been doing studies for over two years, and they finally got to the point where they say, we're now looking at this as a frontline, first-line approach of treatment for people with uh, uh, high, high combat incidents of post-traumatic or uh, complex PTSD. And it's like, oh my gosh, finally. And so now we just have to wait for the machinations to all occur so that the laws and the supply and the demand and the clinical use of it. And at some point, at some point, perhaps a home use, perhaps, I, I don't know how that's going to go. Um, and that to me, that's of less interest right now than just the idea that this is something that really can make a big difference in people's lives uh, for the positive. Uh, and, and it's happening now. 
for anybody that's interested, it was always wrongly categorized uh, with the FDA or the DEA as a Schedule One drug, and that means no medicinal use and highly addictive are the two qualifiers for that particular categorization. Well, mushrooms aren't addictive, and they're not uh, abused. They're not, and and they do have a medicinal purpose. So. I, should I say they're never abused? I don't know. But the people that I know and respect that have used them ceremonially, they're not abusing it and they're certainly not addicted to it. They may use it regularly. What do I mean by that? Once a month, full moon ceremony, a couple times a year. Um, but it's done respectfully. It's done literally like in a ceremony, like, like a church service, if you could imagine that. Jim, do you have any thoughts about this next little piece we've just covered about how things are coming together and have, you know, any of our listeners ever lived through an experience where they're watching a culmination of activities and things change? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, your, your, your point, you know, we started at this, we started this in, in somewhat talking about the idea of, of, uh, of death and the fear of death um, that sort of drives a little bit of everything. Um, it's, it's, it kind of infiltrates all the things that we touch and feel uh, because the reality is there's a large part of our consciousness that knows this is a limited experience. Um, so there's nothing, you know, I, I would ask, you know, the listeners to take a second, you know, as you, as we're talking about this and just kind of dial into what your thoughts are about death. What do you think about the process of death? Um, what is your you know, because for most people in my experience, they, they tend to not want to talk about it. It's not a topic that you sit around talking about at dinner. It's not necessarily a topic you go out to your buddies and have a beer with. You know, it's not, it's not that kind of topic. The changes that we're encountering only exacerbate the fear. Um, the stuff that Jeff is talking about, all of these quantum changes that are going on, these establishments, the crumbling of what was into what's becoming, all stimulates so much of that. And if you look at what's happening in the world right now, particularly, actually it's in the world because it's not, it's, it's, it's spilled out from our country into all kinds of places. And all of it is stimulating a mass amount of energy of fear. And people are like, what is going on? And what, you know, am, am I going to die tomorrow? Is, is the world coming to an end? Is Iran going to bomb the shit out of us? Is, you know, what's happening, what's happening. And, and then you have all on the other side that there's, you know, that nothing's happening. What are you talking about? Nothing's happening. <laughs> you know and so there's all these layers that are put into this process. And so there, then there are the people who are on the front lines of all of this stuff who are being heavily impacted, who are not being able to find relief from the heavy impact that has been created because they're participating in battles and wars and, and whatever all that other stuff is that is going on, that's that's creating this chronic problem. You know, Jeff was talking about uh, chronic depression and anxiety. It's all about energy. So if you're taking a pill and the pill is making you simply, I've had the experience of taking those pills. Um, all that it does is it deadens everything <laughs> from my experience. It just creates a dead person walking around who can smile and, and, and act like they care. Um, but that's what it is. It's acting like um, there isn't a connection. There's not an emotional, deep spiritual, you know, energetic connection. It's a cutoff. It's like somebody cut off my connection to stuff and I couldn't do it. I mean, I, I, I couldn't do it, refused to do it. I, I rather, I wanted much more to go through the process of unfolding whatever my issues or trauma or serious concerns were and fears and anxiety and, and walk that path. Um, and some of the things that helped me radically uh, to, to what we're talking about here is, is um, you know, the, the using the, the mushrooms or, or plant medicine as it's called um, that can have a radical impact on how you perceive yourself in the context of the world and the people in it and the situations in it. And, and it's so profound how, how that happens. And it's, it's such a benefit. So winding back around, guys out there listening, how, how have you migrated since I've started talking on your thoughts about death? Where is that? Where are you? 
What have you uncovered for yourself about that experience? And if it's uncomfortable, if it's whatever it is, let it be what it is. We're going to continue to talk through it and we're going to hopefully be able to provide some, some guidance and some support and some framework for how to deal with that more effectively. Absolutely. And I don't know if you can tell, but I'm just a little bit excited about this <laughs> for that exact reason yeah. that because of the confluence of events that has occurred, there have been new downloads provided for what to do with this plant-based medicine. It's not just take it and see what happens. There are going to be therapies, if you will. There's going to be a process, just like there is for anything, uh, that will guide us through how to best benefit from what it has to offer for us. Um, but we're here. We're here. Um, Jim just sent me an article yesterday that I saw for the first time that a group in London is a research group in London that has been doing research with the plant-based medicines uh, for a while is predicting that uh, psychotropics, particularly the antidepressants within five years will be completely out of the marketplace. That's a bold prediction. And this is coming from a well-respected research institute in, in England. And that's because they didn't, they don't have the laws that we do here. And not, not to get into all that, but, you know, this was really stamped out in the Nixon era when the war on drugs really began. And unfortunately, the, it was kind of like throw the baby out with the bathwater that mushrooms and other psychedelics went out along with cocaine and meth and all these other things that are highly addictive and don't have any known medicinal use. Um, marijuana and psychedelics got put into that category wrongfully enough alcohol never did <laughs> well yeah because it's and so it's profitable one of the most addictive one of the most destructive chemicals that yeah does. and tell me what its medicinal use is um we're not when you have a cold it'll yeah warm you. it'll warm you you know if you have a little bit of brandy when you have a cold it'll warm your insides <laughs> so, that, so that you feel better oh okay so right. it's, it's just a different version of NyQuil. <laughs> yes. yes. And, you know, for those that don't know, there are two different types of alcohol. The medicinal type of alcohol that you put on your skin before you get a shot is not the kind you drink. Oh, Lord. So the kind you drink really doesn't have any known medical benefits. So, but yet, as Jim mentioned, uh, it never got put into that <laughs> category. Okay. So... Um, where take, we go? I want to take a, just a quick second here because I think it's, it's important to, for, for our listeners to understand kind of our thought process here and, and how this is unfolding. Our job, what we do here with Adventures from Truth podcast is to bring things to you guys that we want to kind of unfold in a new way so that you can experience it from a completely different perspective than you may have had before. And this particular topic is so highly charged. Um, there's so many versions and viewpoints and there's so much, there really is an opioid crisis. There really is a problem with people who are killing themselves taking drugs. That's real. That's happening. This is not about avoiding that or not dealing with that or finding ways around it. This is a completely different discussion about how things have been structured again in fear. The whole reason Nixon signed that document was driven by fear, for fear, to promote fear. And it did exactly what it's supposed to do. It created the war on drugs, which created a mass amount of fear about countries and people in other countries who bring drugs to us, who, who corrupt our people, who, who, who do horrible things. And, and now we have drug addicts and it's all foreigners who do it. And now we have a president who supports that viewpoint, um, reinforcing the same negative fear-based nonsense. What we want to provide here is a completely alternative perspective about the benefits and the positive impact that this really creates in the world when it's allowed to do what it's meant to do, which is why we refer to it as medicine. Um, Jeff can tell you we can have a conversation about that if he wants to share. Or no, that wasn't Jeff, never mind. Um, <laughs> where we talk about uh, the idea of plant medicine. People have issue with that. It's a drug. Well, no, it's not actually. It's a natural organism that grows that you go pick and, and process, which is completely different from that 
Xanax you just popped. Totally different. <laughs> so let's let's keep it in balance and try to keep, um, we're going to ask you guys, just keep, keep it open as much as possible. We're presenting new ideas. We're excited about them because they're impactful and we think it can create a very positive change. And it is. And it is. Yes. So the, uh, in another article recently published, uh, the FDA has declared plant-based medicine, particularly psilocybin, as a breakthrough therapy to treat depression. And the breakthrough is in quotations. And that's actually a clinical definition of how a substance goes through phase one, two, three, up to phase four clinical trials in their process. So a breakthrough agent gets front of the line privileges. And it has to meet a couple of criteria. One is you have to have 30,000 doses ready to go in the event it gets approved so that you don't just have like six sitting around that six people are going to benefit from. So you have to have a, a need, which they've already, we talked about that at the beginning, all these people that aren't benefiting from the antidepressants. And you have to have the supply ready to go, which means it has to be funded. It has to meet all of the uh, criteria for the standards within pharmacology to create an agent like that. So that's already been done. Um, there's still a, it, there's still like 18 months before we're going to see anything uh, in a clinic to be able to call up. You can go to uh, universities right now. There are certain clinics already been given permission. Uh, last night I had a doctor in my office that we were discussing this and she's using it with one of her cancer patient, patients already to help them face their pending death. And they're using it legally under the condition of compassion. It's a compassion agent, uh, much like opium would be or some of the painkillers are for people that are you know, in a lot of pain and getting ready to pass. Um, so there are already avenues available for people to seek these out. Uh, and it's only a matter of time until those doors open wider and more opportunity comes available for all of us. So this really is a thing. This is not Jeff's dream that he's still thinking might happen 10 years from now. It's in the process of happening. And what I love about where Jim went a few moments ago with regard to the opium epidemic, the reason people are wanting those substances is to take away their pain. And we spent a lot of time in our last couple of podcasts talking about how pain is the manifestation of fear. So fear is metaphysical. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. Mm -hmm. People ask yourselves right now, what does metaphysical mean? It means not really physical, but kind of. It's meta. <laughs> I know that's not a really good definition, but a thought is kind of real because you're having it, but you can't touch it, feel it, hold it. So it's kind of like ether. It's there. You, you know it's there. Space, you know it's there, but you can't really do much with it. They can't really hold it. And then, of course, there's the physical. So the metaphysical fear, which is false evidence appearing real, and Jim mentioned a lot of the current fears that are going on a few moments ago, current world events that are fear-based, as well as our own individual fears, over time will manifest into pain. And then they become physical in the body to the point where they can be chronic and then create a state of disease. And we talked a whole lot about that in the last couple of episodes, but it's worth going over that again. So people get the idea that physical pain in the body is a manifestation of fear. Yes. And it's the end, it's the end not the beginning. Right. Right. And underneath all of that would be the fear of death. So it's like, as soon as you get sick, as soon as you're feeling an ache and pain and you start thinking about doctors, now all the little, neural networks in the mind are starting to come together and you get the subconscious unconscious thing. Oh my gosh, if I have to go to the doctor, that means I'll be in the hospital. And if I have to go to the hospital, they're going to get something wrong. And that means I'll die. I mean, it may not go that quick. There may be five or six or 20 macerations to get there, but that's all happening in the subconscious unconscious mind. Mm -hmm. So where, where this is so unique and why this is so important is that the plant-based medicines give us a reboot. They re-baseline the fear threshold. I'm gonna, again, I'm going to let that sink in. Please, dear listeners, listen to this and hear if you're carrying around a high threshold of fear, subconsciously or unconsciously, and you don't know how to make that go away, 
And honestly, most therapists, it takes years of practice, of spiritual practice, and lots of counseling for a lot of people to try to lower that fear threshold because it's in the subconscious unconscious mind. And so the benefits of these plant-based medicines is like if you had a virus or something that was making your phone corrupt and it was no longer working, you would take it to the Apple store, you take it to the Android store and they would say, we can't fix this, but we can reset it. And you're like, okay, fine. So I'll lose all my data. Hopefully it's in the cloud or whatever. But by hitting the factory reset, it allows the phone to work again without the problem that it was having. And that's really a really good analogy of what people that have gone through the hero's dose of the plant-based medicines and then done some microdosing for about a month afterward are saying they literally got a second chance on life, meaning that their threshold of fear is lowered to the point where the things that used to bother them or upset them no longer do. They're literally, they moved out of a state of disease into a state of ease. And man, if you're not rocked by that, if that's not something that's exciting to you, I don't know what would be, but that's the world I live in. And that's why this is so exciting to me. Well, and it speaks to, you know, uh, what I've been working with for years, which is this, uh, what I would tell my clients all day long. Um, we live typically in a fear-based existence. What we want to shift to is an opportunity-based experience. That's the difference between that lower brain and higher brain. It's that, uh, that the opportunity-based process is more that whatever shows up is, and you just deal with what is. There isn't a story attached. There isn't, there isn't crap attached to it. It's just what it is. And it takes a little while to get to, but to, to Jeff's point, this reset that happens with, with the, plant, uh, the plant medicines is you, you get to experience how much greater you are than the fear you have given power to. And once you have that experience, you can't have it. You know, I liken it to crossing a threshold. You can stand on one side of a doorway and look into what's there, but you can't really know the environment until you step into it and cross the threshold. And once you cross the threshold, you can't go back because there's nothing back there anymore because what was there is no longer valid. So you have this new environment that you get to explore. And, and the cool thing with the plant medicines is that you get to have that experience in a very safe way that allows you to experience all kinds of your multidimensionality, but ultimately experiencing how much greater you are than what you have allowed yourself to believe to that point. Yep. And that, and that's again to Jeff's point. How could you not be excited about that? <laughs> because the impact is amazing. Um, it, it changes the course of um, you know. Uh, three years ago, uh, Jeff talked earlier about uh, Paul Diamond, the, the the shaman that we are, are, have talked to, and we'll be talking to again in a couple of weeks. Um, I went down to see him in in Peru. Um, a different plant medicine, but uh, uh, but again, plant medicine nonetheless. Uh, profound beyond anything that I could have. I've ne I'd never done psychedelics in my life ever, my entire life. Um, so it wasn't as though I was looking to get high. Um, you know, it was, for me, it was, I felt called. I felt that experience of, I, I know there's something here and I don't know what it is, but I want, I, I got to find out. It's calling me because there's some, and, and so I went for eight days and did, did four ceremonies. Um, and probably the most profound, uh, and profound is such a, almost like a meaningless word in the experience because it's so much more than that. Um, it's so much greater. And, and one of the things that Jeff talked about is that the importance of the environment, that this is, this is not about a group of people sitting in huts in the middle of the forest, you know, getting stoned and having a party. This is a very sacred process that's taken incredibly seriously. Um, the, the shaman, Paul, is, is an unbelievably remarkable shaman in my experience um, because he knows how to create the space. He knows how to unfold the space and create a supportive space that allows every individual to have their experience and, and helping navigate through that experience because we all come with different baggage. So... 
it gives you the opportunity to kind of lay out your luggage and say, wow, I don't like that luggage anymore. I don't like that color. I don't like that size. I don't like, you know, or gosh, I didn't realize I had all this luggage. How cool is that? You know, that it, it's just a, it, it's just a, a remarkable thing. And I can get into more detail about my actual experiences, but the overarching theme here is, is recognizing that when it's done properly, it's very safe. And, and there are lots of different experiences within that, but the end result is quantum change. Quantum right. Shift, right. Regardless of that. Um, right. I, I had uh, one gentleman that was a part of the group that I participated with had a very challenging experience during one of his uh, ceremonies. Um, rage, anger, crazy, crazy. I mean, just craziness. And, um, they were there to navigate and walk him and help him navigate that whole process through this through, while fully engaged in plant medicine, fully, fully immersed in the plant medicine experience. We're able to walk him through to the, to, so profoundly that three days later when we were sitting around at the end of the week, um, his experience of that day in his own words where I've never experienced love in that caliber before ever in my life. That was his takeaway. He spent eight hours in a complete meltdown and rage and what he remembered, what he took away and what he looked like at that, at the end of that ceremony was I've never experienced love like that ever. <laughs> and, you know, I, and, and that was just one small experience. And, and mine was like, for me was, that on steroids, you know, I mean, it's just, um, it's quite remarkable and quite uh, extraordinary how powerful it is and how, what a change agent it is when used effectively. And, um, and you don't, and you don't have to, uh, you have to prepare, but you don't have to, you don't have to be at a certain place for it. You just have to be ready. If that makes right. sense. There's no, there's no pre-qualification as it were. Well, I like that you uh, were, seemed like we, we talk a little bit about these plant-based medicines and, and using it in that category as a medicine, uh, as opposed to a drug that has the kind of the reputation of being something that you would do to use to celebrate with or to party with or that sort of thing. <clears throat> and some people probably will use it for that purpose, but that isn't the the purpose of this podcast, the purpose of all the studies and the research isn't to promote that use of it. Um, I'm, I'm being mindful for a moment as I was got really excited a few minutes back about the FDA declaring these plant-based medicines being a breakthrough for the frontline treatment of depression. Um, and I was thinking of, I'm a, I'm a trainer of the trainers who train people how to do EMDR therapy so it's like four levels of certification that you go through, and I'm, I've reached the top level a bunch of years back. But as such, I've watched EMDR therapy become a niche thing that didn't exist 30 years ago. And Dr. Francine Shapiro, who developed it, who recently died, spent her whole, you know, most of her whole adult life trying to champion and promote this form of therapy to treat PTSD of which you would think the VA would be you know, one of the primary customers, and they fought against it and fought against it and fought against it. They acknowledged that it worked, but their pushback was it's too expensive because you have one therapist with one patient, and it goes on for, say, 10, 15 sessions, that sort of thing. So they're just trying to do the numbers of it's way too expensive. So they could give a pill for a lot less expense than that. Mm. So one of the pushbacks with regard to the and oh, by the way, it took 25 years for the VA to finally say that EMDR therapy is the number one first-line therapy for treating complex PTSD. So both the Psychiatric Association and the VA, two very powerful organizations in the mental health world in the United States, both have that as their frontline treatment for PTSD. I believe that we're going to see that change and that these, uh, the plant-based medicines will at some point probably push EMDR or there'll be some kind of a blending of the two is where I'm seeing this go. Uh, but right now they're talking about a patient coming in to see a therapist for two sessions 
These sessions last six hours, so there's still a big expense to that. There may be an ability for one therapist to work with multiple patients at the same time. We'll have to scale it and cost it out and figure out how that's going to work. But so two times to do this thing called a hero's dose. Why do they call it the hero's dose? Well, it's back to this fear of death thing. So again, our listeners, you, you challenged them earlier to kind of bring up this notion of what am I afraid of with regard to death or what does death mean to me? The reason they call it the hero's dose is because you literally are confronted with your death multiple times over in going through this process. And what all that means, death to the ego, that's one part of it. Literal and physical death is another part of it. All the experiences you've had seeing people die, whether it's movies or other sorts of things. But you, you're confronted with this. So you really have to be brave and heroic to go through this and know that once the ride starts, you can't get off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> and so that's some of the pushback. Again, that's a fear, right? So that's a fear that people would have of, oh man, I have no idea what's inside my mind and there's no way I could deal with all of that. So I don't want to do it. Yeah, and what I, what I can tell you is, is again, from personal experience is that, that I've had lots of demons in my life. Um, and, and, and the guy that I referenced earlier who was wrestling his demons um, you know, during the process it's all part and parcel of the mix, but I wanted to share to Jeff's point um, about the death experience uh, because one of the, one of the pr really profound things that happened during my second ceremony, I believe it was, uh, is I went through, uh, it seemed like it probably went on for a couple hours um, and the process was like rapid fire death and rebirth. Um, I went through this, intense thing where I would be, I would be non-physical and, and a part of the whole, a part of the, the greater whole, the greater, whatever God, whatever that is. And I could, I could experience that in a very profound way. And then all of a sudden I would get taken over by this unbelievable breath and this breath would catapult me back into life. And all of a sudden there I was, I'm alive. And then that would last for a moment, and then I would die again and go back into the go back into the the whole experience again. And then I would come back, and it just went on. And there was a there was a um, a kind of wild kind of it wasn't a fearful thing. It was more like, oh oh, this is what it is. Oh, breath left. I connected at the larger. The breath came back. And I was in live again, and I was in, I was, I was, I was, bo I was born again, and um, it's kind of hard to describe on the, from the outside looking in because it's so your experience is so deeply personal. So all of the things you see and feel and and experience are completely about you, you in relation to you in the world, you in the universe, you. All of it is. It's all connected. And then when you're ready in that process, you can become part of the larger experience. You can lose the you for a while, um, but then you ultimately come back to you because this is an arc, an arc of experience, um, but, but so powerful uh, and so profound to be able to, you know, is it imagination? I don't know, but what it does and what it did was create this enormous opening in my world where I got to a place of, oh, that's all it is. It's a transition. It's a moment the breath leaves. But as soon as the breath leaves, I'm just now no longer connected to time and space in the way that I used to be. I'm now connected to the greater whole. I'm connected to the universe, whatever that is. And then something happens. I make a choice. I make a decision. And suddenly, here I am. I'm, I'm incarnate again. I'm, I'm, I'm back into time and space. And I'm having that experience. And, and the repetitiveness of it was so remarkable because it was like, oh, it's just like I take off my shirt, I put on my shirt. <laughs> right. I, my pants, I put on my pants. It's like one time, you know, I'm, I have clothes on and I'm covered and now I'm not. 
<laughs> you know, it's really, it's really that kind of simplicity, but profound simplicity that just, that just changes everything. Uh, it, it changes your perspective of the world. It changes your perspective of you. Um, as I said before, you, you suddenly realize, wow, this, this, this is so much more than I ever even dreamed could be more. Right. Some have put the simplicity of it is akin to falling asleep at night and waking up in the morning. And it's that simple. Um, And I also like the the people that are of that mindset say that as we're waking up in the morning, because we've been all over the place in our dreams. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, you were someone else, somewhere else having another experience or you were you, but in a different area, different time with all these other people you may or may not know. And that closes. And as you begin to wake up, you begin to remember who you are and you live your life another day. And that's kind of a little bit of a metaphor for what the bigger picture is like too. And we do it all the time. So we're actually experts at dying. We do it all the time. We certainly watch a lot of it on TV. We just cannot get enough of that. That's like the number one thing that is uh, captivates us. And how to reconcile that. The thing that captivates is not the actual death, but the fascination with the process of death. Yeah. The fascination with, and I, I, I really hypothesize and actually wonder if most of the fear of death isn't the how, not the what. Because like you, I, I physically, personally had that experience where, uh, you know, going to sleep, um, you know, going to bed at night, realizing, oh, that's like, some at some point i'm just not going to come back to this reality i don't know when but at some point i'm not going to be here anymore in the way that i'm here now that's that's all i and 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 all i'm going to know is at least this conscious part is that i laid down to go to sleep now how i laid down to go to sleep may be different for everybody but um and will be different for everybody but i think that the more you release that fear, the more you can confront and, and dissipate that fear through understanding more of who you are better, the less you have to be concerned about the how. Right. Because you're not creating a circumstance that it has to be something. It, and, and the reality is it doesn't matter if it's something because chances are very good you're gone before that thing happens anyway. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it would be lovely to be able to figure that out. Um, but just from the outside looking in, it seems to me that it's very challenging to, I just don't know that the body really pays a lot of attention at that point. Right. Consciousness. I think it's just, it's a moment said done. And while it may look gross and disgusting or weird or crazy or whatever on our side, the individual dealing with it didn't, didn't go through all that. Right. So I, I'm struck with this notion. These things usually come to me toward the end of our podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> that we have this whole focus on living well, right? What if we shift the focus to dying well? Mm-hmm. And that because we know we're going to die well, that will allow us to live well. That it's like we, we may have it backwards. That yeah. we're so focused on living well and whatever that means to different people. But it's like we really don't have this idea of, okay, I can live really well, but I'm still afraid to die. Still not sure where I'm going or what that's all about or how all that works. But if we could, and I think that's, I really believe that's what the genesis of the last couple podcasts and the next few podcasts are really focused on dying well, (laughs) that we can practice dying well. We can get so good at it. It's like tying your shoes, taking your shoes on, taking shoes off. (laughs) And then as a result of lessening the subconscious unconscious fear by practicing it consciously, you will literally level up and uh, be vibrating more vivaciously living a fuller life because there just won't be the fear. And if there's no fear, there won't be pain. If there's no pain, there won't be disease. So we really do. We really would do well to practice dying well and embracing the, uh, literal practice of that. And that's what we want to dive into in the next couple of episodes is a therapy that is now available to practice uh, these different experiences that we've had and reconciling them to uh, being comfortable with, yep, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. 
had that experience, had that experience, and gee, I'm still here. So a little bit of a, uh, a trailer to the next podcast. Yeah, good call. And, and I think, you know, like you said, it, it, this is probably a good juncture to let this digest um, and, and for our listeners out there to give you a chance to kind of take it in, maybe re-listen to some of it. Um, you know, we're laying foundation, we're laying in layers of this. Um, we can get into the whole, I was, as Jeff was talking, I was going to dive into the whole uh, idea of attachment and how attachment plays into the fear of death. But we can do that as another, as another piece. But understanding that, no, we recognize that I know many of you out there, part of the fear of death is your attachments to people, to things, to places, to animals, to whatever. Um, and, and, and it's important, but it's also important to dissect as a part of the fear process how, uh, how as you do the work, as you do your work on a daily basis, as your consciousness expands, as you, as you do all this stuff, those attachments begin to fall away. And that's where it becomes even cleaner. And, and understanding that you're just, that's an evolution. You don't love less, you actually love more. You don't, you know, you don't experience less, you actually experience more um, because you're no longer constricting yourself by attachment and fear. So right. leave that there because we don't need to dive too deeply there right now. I just wanted to put it out there in case any of you were thinking it um, because I know that, that for many, the first thought about death is my husband, my wife, my kids, my dog, my cat, all that stuff. So um, anyway, so this, this has been a, you know, just a great... Uh, another layer in this this wonderful cake we're building and we're very excited to have you be a part of it thank you for listening everybody and please uh, come back and hear the rest of this you're gonna yes. love it you will thanks everyone we hope you enjoyed this episode of adventures in truth podcast If you would like to listen to more or to explore all our offerings, visit us on the web at www.adventuresintruthpodcast.com. We also offer video versions of our podcast. Visit our page on YouTube at Adventures in Truth Podcast. We would love to hear from you. Like, connect, and follow with us on Facebook. Want to book us for your next podcast or to speak at your event? Head over to our webpage at www.adventuresintruthpodcast.com at the bottom of the page and send us a note. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to seeing you again at Adventures in Truth Podcast.